Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 38, producer spotlight, Kyle Bamberger. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right, guys, thanks for joining in today. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it. Kyle, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So, Kyle, you are with Modern Legacy, and if I'm remembering correctly, you're up in Iowa, right? Correct. We are just north of Des Moines. Okay. uh, Probably about 20 minutes north of Des Moines, so pretty much dead central Iowa. Awesome, man. So, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about you, how you got into... uh, how you got into video and kind of what what kind of work you've done, kind of work you're doing now, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so I think I really got my quote unquote professional start probably back in 2014. Uh, I think that's really when I took things, started taking things more serious. Um, and it kind of, my passion was hunting and outdoors. So that kind of quickly morphed into, you know, filming hunting, right? Because that's the dream, isn't it? Isn't that what everyone thinks? At least when you get started, that's what you think the dream is. Right. You think, well, I can I can morph my passion in with something else and maybe I can get a job out of this. So anyways, I by probably 2016, I was a freelancer doing, I went to a couple of film schools, things like that, and I was a freelancer for a while. And I, I took a full-time job with the TV show in 2017 I was with them for about two, a little over two years, and then I teamed up uh, with Myron Legacy and my business partner, Adam Jordison. We've been doing that for a little over two years now, uh, full-time together. I mean, Adam's had the business since 2010, so it's not a new thing to him, but uh, the partnership was new then. So we've, we've actually been, it's been a great partnership, really, because Adam has been, he's the really creative outside the box thinker and i'm more of the i bring more in the technical piece into things so really it it creates a great partnership because we're maybe i'm lacking he picks up or vice versa for either one of us so it turns out to be a, a it was just a perfect fit for for both of us to work together so it was just um a lot of fun to actually find someone typically it's hard to find somebody that you can actually trust their work ethic and you know that they're actually going to produce what you need them to produce, and that you know, especially when you have these tight time frames and things like that. And I hadn't found many people that I'd worked with that I would that would check all the boxes for me, and that was kind of the first person that did that for me. But um, anyway, it morphed from I kind of got off topic there, but it morphed from the hunting TV stuff uh, more into direct branding with creating content for companies, um, corporate that kind of thing. So we've been doing a lot of. Um, really brands that kind of align with our personal lives and things as far as like outdoor related things, as far as camping, things like that. So we've been doing a lot of kind of direct to consumer marketing and branding for companies like that. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's, it's been crazy busy. I know, I know we've talked before 2021 for you has been just crazy busy as well. And I think it was just the COVID thing after COVID hit and everyone was like, I we're ready just to get things somewhat back to normal. Right. I think you've probably had a similar experience, but it's it's been crazy busy this year. Um, February being probably the busiest month I've ever had, and ever, you know, since I since the inception, really. And uh, really, it hasn't slowed down a whole lot. And we 
I think we've taken a couple days off, really, is all we've really had in the past three months. So, yeah, that's pretty much how things are going right now. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's been a good good partnership, and this year's been great so far, and I, I just pray that it continues for us. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think uh, it's like basically the latter part of summer of 2020 all the way through now has been the hottest run of video I've ever had, hottest run of work unbelievable to me and i just hope it doesn't stop i'm always afraid that it's just gonna stop <laughs> but it's been really good and uh, i've grown immensely because of that um, as you have i'm sure as well um but man so let's uh, a few things first off let's talk about the partnership aspect that's kind of um something i've never talked about on the show before so i i, I was the opposite of you i had a partnership first and then uh, that kind of fell through and then i went on my own that was back when i was like in college and it really fell through, I think, a lot of because none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we didn't really know how to run a business was like the biggest thing. Uh, but I feel like what, what I learned from my experience is I, I remember in my partnership, I always felt like I was the one doing all the work and everybody else that or the other two guys that were in it were really in it just because it was cool. And they wanted the accolades from it, the traveling, just getting to blast stuff on social media. And I know that happens quite a bit. Uh, It sounds to me like you have a really great partnership. And if I was in a similar situation as you, I would probably be like you more of the, I'd bring more of the tech side of things. And I would like more of a creative person because there are people out there way more creative than me, (laughs) you know? Um, So you got like a really great partnership. I want to talk a little more about that. So how did, how did that happen? How did you guys meet? How did you make the partnership? Was it, was it, like, were you already doing the business and then he jumped on board or vice versa? Let's talk about it. Yeah. So for us, uh, I met Adam when I moved here for the TV show. He was actually editing the TV show and we had worked together. We worked really well together and we thought, man, if we could ever just branch out and start doing our own thing together, it would work really well. I mean, he'd brought me in on a few projects prior and we'd worked together and we seen kind of each other's work ethic and it was like, wow, I, like I said, it's, it's really hard to find somebody that has the same work ethic as yourself. And for him, <clears throat> he's, he's just a hard worker and I don't find many people in the industry that are like that. You know, a lot of people want to be able to come in at eight, turn it off at five. And sometimes that's just not the case, you know, especially in this industry, as you were just talking about, you had to get up or go out late, film one shot an hour away just to drive back. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't willing to do that kind of work. And, there's just not many people that are willing to put in these 24, 40 hour straight editing sessions when there's a tight deadline and you have multiple clients coming in. You have to do that. And he was that person for me. Like he was the person that it didn't matter. At the time, he was editing a couple TV shows at once. And I, I remember I, I came to work one day and I worked up there and I had to go back to my other job the next day. Basically, I, I slept like an hour went to work then came back to his office again and he had still been up he hadn't slept yet <laughs> and i'm like it's been two straight days and you haven't even slept yet he's like if everything's due on friday i don't have an option like there's not enough time in the day i just have to do it and i was like man this guy's a hard worker so that was kind of the inception of how it, it all how we met and i really just thought wow it'd be it'd be too perfect if we could if we could work together because he, for me, the, the creative aspect that he brings to things, he thinks so far outside the box and in his edits, you can, it just shows in his edits that he does. And I'm like, man, for me, I feel like, man, I can never think like that. That's so creative. 
And then, you know, obviously we were just talking about this the other day, him and I, and I'm like, so why do you do the things you do? It's like, for him, it just speaks to him. Like, that's just what you're supposed to do. And for me, I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think that way. Like I think more technical. Right. Right. And, um, so as far as the technical aspect goes, I bring that I'm a gear tech nerd and I absolutely love gear. Like I, all my friends, like I'm the guy that everyone reaches out to and they're like, they have a question about cameras or lenses or computers. Like I'm the guy to come to. And he was like, man, you, that would be perfect if we could work together. And we had kind of talked about it loosely for a while. And when the time came for me to leave the show, he was kind of parting ways roughly at the same time. And it's just that, you know, confluence there happened just too perfectly that we couldn't we couldn't not make it happen. It's like we didn't really have a lot of work even lined up at the time because we were getting out of TV. So we hadn't had a lot of time to even market or, or try to, to pitch to anybody. It was like, but I'm willing to work for it if you're willing to work for it too. And like I said, he had established the business back in 2010. So it's been going for a while and he's had great success with the business. But for us just to, to meet up at the right time, all really in God's timing, honestly, the, the fact that none of us you know, we didn't plan it. It's not what I, that's not what I moved here for directly, maybe indirectly. That was maybe God had another plan for me. I don't know, but you know, it's, it's just been a great partnership because Adam's kind of a, he's a movie buff, a cinema guy. And he, he spends so much time like actually breaking down cinema and figuring out movies and why things, why people do the things they do. And he actually, he tries to bring all of that into his own edits and our, our own shots that we do as well. Which, I mean, admittedly, I don't really do a whole lot of um, just because I feel like I'm always so busy with other things. And he, you know, we, we just talked about it. It's like we need to start making like, you know, one or two nights a week where we actually sit down and break down cinema together so we can actually, you know, see because my head thinks differently than his head thinks. Right, right. And, and then we can bring things together. But uh, yeah, so we started in 2019, like I said, and we didn't really have anything lined up. And when we started really going out and, and seeking business, things started just kind of falling in our laps. And 2018 or 2019 was just, uh, it was a really successful year and we came off the hot year into 2020 and really 2020 started pretty hot for us as well. And then, you know, as everyone knows what happened mid March, uh, things slowed down drastically for us for a little while, but it was, it was nice to have that other person that was willing to, to ride out the storm with you. Right. 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 Like it, there is a complexity to it because, you know, not only do you have your own family to worry about, now you have two families to worry about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I want to talk about that. So I think that one of the challenges when, when I had my first partnership or my only partnership was it wasn't about making enough money to survive. It was about making enough money for both of us to survive. So you guys have to go out and get enough work for the two of you. I mean, uh, there are a lot of freelancers I know, and I know that you and I are more with like, we're we're running things more like a company, less like freelancers, but still there are a lot of freelancers I know that can't even get enough work to support themselves. So they end up looking for full-time jobs elsewhere. You guys are kind of having to have enough to support the two of you. Has that been a challenge? Honestly, when we first started for the maybe the first month or two, it kind of seemed like it might be a challenge, but honestly, it it morphed pretty quick into a really sustainable business model for each of us. And, you know, like I said, 2020 had its challenges, but we still had enough work coming in that we're able to sustain us each. 
And I think that's the, the more difficult part because, you know, now he has, he has two daughters as well. Mm. So it's not, it's not like, you know, we have myself and my wife himself and his wife. We don't have that. Right. You know, we, we have six people now essentially that, that we're trying to sustain for. So it really, I mean, there's definitely a lot of stress I think that comes with that, that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of, but for me, it's, it's well worth it because the partnership works so well, you know, as our business model, it's, it's worked. Honestly, it's, I, I could never be where I am today had I not had my partner. So that's awesome. Yeah, man. You know, I, I've often, uh, I have some, some friends of mine, we've talked about this. They live in other States and we always talk about how, man, if we could just partner up, we would crush it but we live so far away, you know, and I've often thought, you know, I, I, even though I've had a not so great partnership experience, I know, I know it would be amazing if I had the right person, you know, if you had just the right person, kind of like you have, man, you could do so much more, but (laughs) it hasn't happened for me. Uh, so that's, it's really, it's really neat to see that with you. And I'm really, uh, I think it's really neat that you were, you guys were willing to jump in and do that together. and, And it seems like it's worked out really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we like I said when we first started, there was definitely that the <laughs> first little stretch where it's like, I don't know if we can do this. Like, but right. it was it was each of us. I think were willing to put our heads down and you know be willing to say we're going to make it work no matter what. So I mean, it, it takes that person that you can trust that's willing to do that with you. But absolutely, I mean, if you can find that person that you can trust, and I I don't know if it and maybe I think it works so well because we're so different. If you had two of the same people, I don't know if it would work as well. Oh, I know but, that for a fact because I'm I'm the kind of guy I'm a I'm more of a general. Like, <laughs> if if uh, if I'm unhappy with something, I'm gonna let you know because I ex- I I very much expect something to be done a certain way. And if there were two of me, we would kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys, you met working in the, in the hunting world. Can we backtrack a little bit and talk sure. about? Let's talk about what your roles were um, in that world and and kind of what kind of work you guys did. Mm-hmm. So for me, I started out as a field producer, as many people do, and that kind of morphed into I was doing editing in-house for some of the smaller projects, things like that. And then that quickly came into assistant editor with Adam, just trying to get things ready for him to shoot him over to him. You know, we were cutting up our scenes and things like that. And I would take care of all that and get everything over to him to get into the creative aspect for everything. And as much as like I, I still don't really enjoy that part, like getting the projects ready and like, you know, I'm talking about getting all the cutting everything down, syncing everything up. Like that part is not creative whatsoever. No. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's nice. It is. It's very monotonous, especially when it's really long duration stuff. But, you know, doing that and then coming up and actually seeing the editing process really grew my hunger as an editor because I hadn't really had that, opportunity prior there was really so much shooting we were doing i didn't have the time to really try to be a a good editor i really never had the opportunity and coming up and just learning from him you know especially because he had been in business for seven or eight years editing tv for that long he's learned a lot and learning from him directly kind of just sitting over his shoulder and figuring out why he does the things that he does that really helped me honestly i i grew probably four or five years in experience within that first six months um, when I was working at the show still. And 
honestly, like being able to completely edit something start to finish with TV is a long process, as I'm sure you know, because mm-hmm. you edited TV. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it can be a long, monotonous task. It can be. Yeah. So, anyway, he was just pretty much full-time editor. And then when he would come down on the shoots, he'd be DP. You know, I'd be cinematographer for him. Um, and then we kind of used that because he could kind of just call me. We could have a conversation if we were going out to the shoot the next couple of days or whatever. He could give me an idea exactly what he's looking for. And then I would be, I'd have a couple guys with me shooting and then I could kind of direct everyone and be DP on set so I could tell everyone what we need to shoot, how to shoot it, you know, everything that it takes to be a, a DP and field producer. And this is for what show again? This was for race hunting race at the hunting. time. Okay. Yep. Um, so we did that for, like I said, I think really 2017 was more so me just coming in and learning everything about the show and picking up because they were in season four, I believe at the time, something like that. So it'd been going on for a few years. So to get caught up into the swing of things and we really spent a lot of time, the the first probably six or eight months was me taking things off these little tiny Western digital hard drives and then combining everything onto a raid array and like learning the footage and figuring out what they have. Right. That really, that really took so much time I to be imagine. able to, yeah, I mean, it, it took me, I don't know, probably two or three months just to get everything together. I mean, it was to the point we were we were dumping these little tiny slow USB drives and, and firewire drives. <laughs> Literally, I mean, it was taking, I, I can't even explain to you how long these things were taking. Sometimes like three days to dump like a oh, two I, terabyte drive. I know, I know what you're crazy. talking about. Yeah, when I did TV, that was exactly how we did it. In fact, they didn't even have a RAID array. So I was just dumping it to bigger (laughs) seagate drives and having to cut off of that it was awful yeah so uh anyways yeah we were we were doing that uh like i said i kind of was just learning the process for the first i don't know maybe be probably six months really just learning everything and then i had a a project where i had to use some of the old footage and it was like i just remember going through everything because they they've been filming for years i mean ever since the kids were born which is 26 plus years ago they've been filming everything and so like trying to combine all the old stuff with what they're doing now was just a nightmare i remember that and like learning all that old footage and the benefit with adam was that he had been through it 200 times you know and was adam there from the beginning of race hunting yeah, yeah. So he he actually brought the idea over, and when he brought the idea over, he pitched it to the show. Well, it wasn't a show at the time, but he pitched it to him, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, I love the concept." And Adam's like, "Okay, let me let me do a pilot. Let me run with it and see what you think." And they they pitched that pilot to Outdoor Channel, and Outdoor Channel came, and they were like, "Can you guys sustain this for a season? Like, this seems really in depth and." different than anything else we've ever seen. I don't know if you can sustain that level for 13 episodes. And so if you know anything about my business partner, Adam's like the one thing you don't do is tell him that he can't do something right? <laughs> because he's going to prove you wrong. That's and awesome. That's what I was telling you, like his work ethic. Like if he, if you tell him you're not able to do that, he's going to show you that he can. It doesn't matter how hard he's got to work to do it. He's going to show you that he can. And that, that's all it takes really is, is for you to give him that shot. And then you go, I don't know if you can do it. Not a good idea. So, um, anyways, we kind of got off topic there. But when I was working with Adam pretty closely, we kind of, like I said, it, it kind of came to that confluence at the same time after working with the show for a couple of years, which was great because it 
it helped me advance further. And then he would, Adam would help push me further as a shooter on set to get more creative and abstract and different than I probably ever would have before. And I think that really groomed us into the roles that we have now, you know, being able to trust one another to go out on a shoot or edit something, you know, if we have that ability, now each of us uh, can pretty much reverse our roles no matter what we're doing. And I feel a hundred percent comfortable with what I'm going to get. So Adam does shoot too. Yep. Okay. Yep. So he, and he used to shoot everything on the show for the first year, maybe two, I think maybe the first two years. And he kind of phased out and just became the editor and kind of groomed everyone else to get what he needs out of it. Sure. Um, Which then, that, that had to have been a task in of itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's something so different. The show was just so far different than anything else that had ever been done before. Sure. I remember, I don't remember if it was season one, but I remember, I don't have outdoor TV and I don't watch outdoor TV. I haven't in a long time. Same. <laughs> but I do remember watching, um, I watched the intro for one of the seasons and it might've been season one, but I remember there was a shot I really liked several years ago, but I still remember it where uh, there was like a picture on the wall and it kind of... Uh, I don't know. I guess he masked in another shot in the photo and then the photo kind of came to life. It was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. It's been like five, six, seven years and I still remember that. So <laughs> yeah, that what well, season one would have been probably 13. So probably eight years ago. Yeah. See would have been. Yeah. See, I, still, been a long I, still, time. I still remember it. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I mean that, and that was really the, the mantra of the show was like, let's pushing the boundaries and creating something different that other people weren't doing, you know, because who wants to watch standard outdoor TV anymore? You seen one deer hunt? You seen them all? <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least the typical, you know, right. grunge hard rock, you know, kill shot hits right on the grunge of the guitar, you know, or the drum. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And I'm guilty of that. <laughs> we we all are when we start. Honestly, yeah. I think we're all too used to that, and I mean, that's what you know, and that's what you do. And you know, my some of my first videos that I've ever created probably back in 2013 it would have been it was the same way for me it's like it's absolutely terrible because that's all you know and it's like i think it's because it's an it's an easy entry point too because you just have to go find that song and then you just like cut it on those hard beats and you put <laughs> together this little video and you're like how amazing is this oh yeah dude i remember my very first one of my very first hunting trips i ever went on i filmed a guy on a high fence shoot a an eland in oklahoma it was a stupid can hunt but whatever i was to get my foot in the door (laughs) and i remember the music choice i used it sounded like we were going to war for a revelation so jesus had come back and like this is it this is the end times that's what it sounded like and i remember i sent the video off to this guy who was in the outdoor industry i was like hey man could you mind uh would you give me some feedback (laughs) and he's like you know, you know, honestly, for starting out, you did you did pretty good. But let's talk about this music. <laughs> and I was offended. I was like, well, that, he's like, it's too dramatic. I was like, it's a dramatic moment, you know. But yeah. looking back, it's like, what on earth was I thinking, man? Yeah, I think like because when you get started, you get into like you get in like audio jungle and things like that. Oh, and yeah. Like, what do, you, what do you look for? You're like epic. That's oh, exactly I, 100%. what. Hundred percent. I'm pretty epic. sure it was audio jungle. <laughs> I'm yeah. Pretty sure. I mean, it's the same for me. It's like when you get an audio jungle, you're like, what's the first thing you search? Epic music. And then, you know, you, you find the most dramatic, over-the-top music you can probably find. And it, it's like, it doesn't fit the situation whatsoever. Because when you we think about, I think for most of us, when we think about hunting or nature now, we think about like that serene or serenity that we right. get 
out of it. And yeah. it's like, that's so polar opposite from like when you start, like 100%. what you start doing. I would rather hear Nat sounds like, are, have you ever seen the Rivers Divide? It's been out many mm -hmm. years now. Yep. I, I, one of my favorite things that they did in that was um, whenever Steve the deer, Steve the deer <laughs> came, came back, um, I guess it was like a season later or whatever, whenever, whenever the day he shot him, whenever mm -hmm. he saw him come out um, into that little, I, I think they were, they were in a pop-up line and they were hunting some some little hole in some timber and i'll never forget when steve came out they, they killed the music there was no music and that whole entire scene had zero music all you could hear was footsteps of the deer and whether they captured that in the moment or or, or a creative uh fully audio post I don't, i'm not sure but either way you could hear footsteps you could hear the wind you could hear everything that happened zero music at all and to me that was so much more powerful than any dramatic epic song could ever be mm -hmm. agreed i think like I said, it, and when you start out to, and this is speaking to a lot of younger people or people that are just getting into it, it's definitely so easy because you don't have to worry about audio and things like that or Foley or sound design right. and things like that. So it's like you let your music dictate and carry the story and where it's going to go. I think for a lot of people, especially when you find that quote unquote epic music that, you know, maybe it starts out with that simple piano or whatever it might be, but it leads into this orchestral crescendo at the end where it's just so over the top right like it's just it's an easy way to tell that simple story right and you know there's especially when you're getting started there's nothing wrong with that um because you'll learn your creative juices and how you get them to flow differently with different things but i agree 100 percent with you like being able to rely on that audio for things and or foley or sound effects either way that's just that intensifies the moment for me more so than having any music underneath. Oh, hundred percent. Because all I, I, when you're hearing that crescendo, like you're talking about, that's all you're really paying attention to subconsciously. But whenever, whenever it was just, it's just Nat sound or Foley audio, like in that moment when, when Donnie Hart, you know, took Steve, I just remember like I was the first time I watched that, I was really tense because I was so zoned in on everything that's happening. I hear every footstep like I'm there. You know, I, I could see the nervousness on his face because like this is his second opportunity and I'm paying attention to that, not the music. And in that moment, I'm thinking, I know for a fact I would blow this shot <laughs> because it's all I could think about. Like this is too intense. But they did that. They captured that really well, told that really well. And I feel like that's, I don't know, it's just something I think you, you don't really learn until you, I mean, it's just experience is the only thing that can kind of teach you how to do that, I feel. Absolutely, 100%. And that kind of leads me into a good next talking point. And for us in our business, um, probably majority of what I would say we do really is driving home emotion to the viewer. Um, that's That's been the cornerstone of what the business is, is drawing out people's emotions. I feel like we've done that really well. And and some people feel like it's maybe too fluffy or whatever, but that's what that's what's driven our business thus far. Sure. And that's really been the cornerstone of what we do. So having the ability to tell emotional stories and uh, being able to pull out that emotion in people, like I don't love it, but like, it, it feels good when somebody's like, wow, that made me tear up when I watched that. Like for me, that's like, okay, job well done. I was able to invoke or evoke emotion out of somebody and pull that out of them via whether that be music, the story, whatever it is, when you can do that, for me, that's just like, that's the pinnacle of, of being a creative, like being able to pull that out of somebody. I love that. A hundred percent. So Mike, my, if, if you were to ask me today, like what's the one thing I focus on more than anything in my business today, it would be uh, my script writing. 
that's that's like the number one thing I put more emphasis on than anything else, more than what camera I'm using, more than what lens choice, music, where we're going to shoot it. It's all about the script for me. And so like, like I'm working on this project for Texas State University. It's a 90 second video. And I just finished the last shot last night. That's that shot I told you I went and got last night was to wrap that up. And it's, it's about this girl. It's only 90 seconds long. But it's about, it starts off with this girl in a superhero outfit. She's running and playing with this toy airplane. Um, and she talks about how when she was a kid, she wanted to be a superhero. She's our protagonist. But then she talks about how, but as she got older, she learned that um, like, what a true hero was. And then it, it relates hero behind the mask to people wearing a COVID mask back when, and I'm not for that, but it's back when, uh, back when the schools were just now starting to, to open back up and teachers were having to get up at four or five in the morning to try to get kids to school or set up virtual and stuff like that. It's basically giving thanks to everyone who made this school year happen this year. And it's an end of year video that we're going to send out to schools all across Texas. It's a really cool project. And the script I wrote, this 90 second script, my, my mom tag team, she does a lot of script writing with me. She's an excellent script writer. And we tag team and wrote this thing over like a four or five hour time window that we sat at a coffee shop and just banged it out. And, um, and in everyone that read it cried. And all I could think about is like, it's not music that's making them cry. It's not anything else. It's literally just the script because anybody who was a, a teacher or faculty member or a parent who had to deal with all the crap that happened during COVID, which was really, it was a, dude, it was tough on a lot of people, not talking about like the sickness part, but just like the mess it created. And anybody that lived through that, like my wife, she works at a school. It sucked for her and like she never knew what she was going to be doing, where she was going to be going or anything. And if I can tell us, if I can write a script that when people watch it that went through that and it hits a, an emotion for them and makes them tear up because they remembered that or, or make my gosh, like this captures what it was like for me, then I've, I know I've done my job. And I would rather spend my time writing a, an, an incredible script that that captures that than I would picking out music or fooling around with what camera I'm going to shoot on. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think, yeah, I, I believe that's the the audio chunk that you sent me that I listened to. And yeah, yeah, it was. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I listened. I listened to it with my wife, and she was like, "Wow, that was really well. That was really heartfelt." I'm like, "I loved it too. Same thing. Very well done. I, I love the script. Appreciate it." Um, but we, for us, it's the same way, and and maybe this might be a good next talking point too. For but as far as like projects go, that's probably my. I don't know if my favorite, my favorite definitely probably is not narrative um, and like fully writing a script and like, I like that. But for me, I, I love telling people's individual stories and like mini docs sure. is what I would refer to them as. That's probably my favorite. 100% mine too. For sure. I love, I love interjecting myself and, and the creative aspect of that into these people's lives. And, you know, it's something that they do every day that they take for granted maybe, but they have a really unique story and you really want to be able to tell it. And that's, we've had that ability with a few of the companies that we work for now, we've been able to actually go out and, and tell individual stories. Absolutely love that because, you know, by the end of a four or five day shoot straight with these people, it's like, we're honestly like family by the end of it because how well you get to know these people on, on a personal level. I absolutely love that. And, the, my maybe my favorite part is you don't exactly know where the story is going to take you until you're in the moment. Hundred percent. Because because sometimes they they say something and it takes you down this this path that you never expected would happen. And I think maybe that's the most difficult part is like when you try to script out something like that. You know, we have a we'll have a phone call with these people a couple times and like just tell me your story, tell me about your process, what you do, why you do what you do. 
but none of those emotional things come up during that time frame, right? Because I think they just have this brief general overview. And you're like, right. okay, decent story probably. And I, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I definitely am looking forward to finding that story. I haven't found that story. I found some good stories that we've been able to tell, but you know, there's, you look for those individuals that you come across. It's like, they have just something so unique and different from anyone else that you've ever heard of. Like you want to be able to tell that story. Right. And that's for me, I, I don't know. That's where I get, that's where I get to interject my favorite piece of this and creativity and just really going out and, and just, like I said, just interjecting myself into these people's lives. That's probably my favorite part of the business. But, um, and, and, you know, I'll admittedly say I don't do a lot of, uh, we don't do a lot of narrative work. A lot of stuff isn't narrative. Um, I mean, we do have some, obviously, because we have scripts and things that we have to work for for clients, especially when you get into like corporate stuff. Things get right. pretty, things get pretty scripted in that moment. You know, unless you can convince them that you can go unscripted and, not not necessarily unscripted, but go in with just a, a looser shot plan sure, for for telling a story. Yeah, which as actually, as much as I like writing a script, that going in with like a looser idea is kind of one of my favorite ways to shoot as well because I feel like I capture. Th- I'm I'm not so focused in on getting one or two or three particular things. I can kind of just mm-hmm. get a bunch of different things, and that gives me a little bit more to work with. So I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two because it's it's done well majority of the time it does well but then we've had times where we're working with a client and things change mm-hmm. within the shoot itself and so your loose plan that you had becomes even <laughs> looser and right. then it becomes this just jumbled up mess and it's like well now we've got to we've got to take more direct control of these guys because right the, the client's like well let's try this let's try this let's try this and it's like okay well that's that has nothing has zero relevance to this story oh, I, dude, I would if i had a dollar for every time that happened to me <laughs> same here i mean it, it we we'd be millionaires by now i think oh yeah i had an outdoor guy one time he's like what why aren't you out there getting getting this funny thing of a mouse running across this this grill while we're trying to grill i'm like because it has absolutely nothing to do with what we're doing here nothing i'm not going to just throw that in there like that's that's stupid it's a waste of my time <laughs> we need a comedy scene come on now yeah let's just throw a comedy <laughs> scene we're not a comedy show at all but let's just have it you know like exactly it's weird Anyway, yeah, that's that's funny. Zeus, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you. So, why why did you? What made you want to kind of? I know you've told me before you've kind of left the outdoor world. Some what what kind of drove you there? Was it more uh, a lack of creativity? Was it you're looking for something else? Was it financially? Like what kind of what made you want to go the route you're at now? Honestly, for me, everything like I think most people when they get to that point, it's like one you're traveling with someone else filming their dream right but at the same time you're like if i'm working for someone else in their dream i'm never going to be able to fulfill fulfill my own totally and agree that's that's kind of where i was and it's like well i had this this idea like well i want to have a thriving you know production business and i want to be able to go tell meaningful stories about different people all the time i don't want to be tied down to one singular story and then have to keep script writing, coming up with new ideas every single time for every single episode. Um, and that's, that really kind of drove me to teaming up with Adam because he had the same vision, you know, he had been in TV for so long though, he really wanted to get out as well. So 
like I said, it just came at the perfect time and the pinnacle for each of us because we had the same vision where we wanted to go and, you know, create this, you know, not a big production house, but a production house big enough to take on just about anything, you know, keep aside movies, but obviously we need some more people for that. But, um, for us, it just, we just wanted to be able to pursue our own dreams. And I think the other one was like selfishly, I wanted to be able to hunt again. I was always filming other people during the prime times where I needed to be out there. And, you know, if I would be filming like Monday through Saturday and you'd have like Sunday off. And it's like, really, you needed a day of rest anyways, but I'd be out there trying to hunt myself. So really, you're going seven days straight for months at a time. Yeah, that's tough, man. So yeah, I, I, we just wanted to, you know, pursue our own passions and be able to hunt and things at the same time. So that really is kind of what drove me out of there. And it really wasn't a lack of creativity because we had a lot of creative freedom within what we were doing but it still got monotonous at the end of the day. So it's like we just wanted something that we could uh, have creative freedom on every new project that we take on and have that ability to expand it to wherever we want to expand it to. Yeah, man, you know, when I did Outdoor TV, I at first I thought it was like the dream job because I'm traveling all over and I'm hunting all the time, but you really aren't hunting. And I know people like to say that you are, oh, but you are, you're, you know, you're just as much part of the hunt, but no, you're, you're really not. Like, at least to me, I wasn't. I, I, I want to pursue an animal. I want to go out and and do my thing. And like you said, I hardly ever had time because during prime season, I was always out filming someone else doing their thing. And now, like when I first started my business, I didn't hunt much either because I was spending so much time growing my business, but I'm at a comfortable spot now where I'm growing a lot, but I'm, I've got a lot of contractors that help me. And so mm-hmm. like, I have a really great contract editor right now. It's just taking a lot of my, um, a lot of my troubles off my hands so I can have more free time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I've got my weekends back. I can take like, man, every year for the past few years, I've taken, um, like two or three times throughout the year, I'll take a whole week off and I'll just go hunting for a straight week. And that's like, I never did that when I did outdoor TV. I hunt and fish more now than ever. Like next week, I'm, I have five projects I've been working on for months now. All five of them are done this week. And next week, I'm going to take my kayak out. I'm driving two hours out and I'm going to put in at daybreak and I'm not going to get off the water. Uh, I'm floating downstream like 10 miles and I'm not going to get off water until sunset. And like, I couldn't do that when I was doing outdoor TV. No way. I wouldn't have time yeah. or if I did have the time, I'd be wanting to sleep. <laughs> and the same for me. And, you know, I think, I think it's funny you mentioned the same thing because for me, like I, we've, we've been able to hunt and fish more now, probably more than ever. And it's, it's been a, a blast. I mean, aside from those really busy times and it really kind of worked out this year because most of our really busy times were, it was really cold out still and it was snowing and we it's not like we're going to go outside really anyway. So right. I'm not a big ice fisherman. I, I don't really understand why people go out on the ice. I'm probably <laughs> going to hear, I'm probably going to hear from somebody after I say that, but I'm not a big ice fisherman. I want to try it. I'll say that. I've never done it, but I want to try it. I'm like from Texas people, though. So of course I want to try it. It doesn't make sense for me to go out on like ice on top of water and then cut, <laughs> cut a hole and sit over top of the hole of ice and freeze and wait on a fish. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't sound like fun to me. Maybe just because I haven't done it. I don't know. I live in prime territory to do it, but I just don't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, for us, the same thing. Like we took, I think last year we did three or four day fishing trip together. We went and camped and did fishing for walleye and stuff. And 
like I never would have had that ability oh, before. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's it's like working for TV, especially when you're a full time employee. It's like five days the for the year maybe you get off. Right. So, so like you use your time wisely, and the same thing like you said. It's like when the time you did have off, it's like I just want to rest. I'm tired. Right. And we just never had that ability before. So for me, absolutely, 100 percent agree. Like having that ability now is just fantastic. And oh, I yeah. love it. Yeah, man. Like when I go. I, I think uh, it was like two weeks ago I did the same thing. I went out on my kayak and fly fish for like, I think it was 10 straight hours. And I went, it was like six and a half miles, and just 10 straight hours of fly fishing. And on a Monday, and I'm like, this is the life. This is the real dream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know well, I mean? <laughs> it, it's funny you said that because Adam and I were just talking about that the other day. And it's like, if we could only like, we have jobs that are fairly easy sometimes, you know, it's just pretty quick at it. We're pretty fortunate in that regard, but it's like, man, if you could get a bunch of these and we could just contract a lot of the workout, it's like, we could be living the dream right now. Like, we, <laughs> we could just be like fishing all the time and just going and pitching to new clients. Like, what a what a life! <laughs> you know, I I think that those guys that that have those roles that you know have a larger scale production company, like they probably have a little bit more freedom, but I think you have different responsibilities <laughs> because now you're worried about other people in you know, everyone that's underneath of you. So you have that stress as well. So, and you got to try to find that happy medium. You got to find a happy medium. That's what I'm aiming for. So with this like contract editor, I'm going out and pitching clients and shooting jobs and taking care of it, but then he's handling most of the editing. And so I can, if I'm freeing up time for me to go do stuff I want to do and it kind of, and I need that too, because you can get burnt out pretty fast if you're, if you don't have that. A hundred percent. And that's, that's honestly probably one of the biggest things that I've seen in this industry is like people get burned out really fast. Super. And especially, especially if you have contractors that are working for you a lot and you have just this monotonous schedule of people, you know, shooting every day, editing every day, staying up for 40 hours straight editing, like these really difficult tasks that you have to ask of people, people get burned out really fast. Yeah, they do. And you have to, you have to be really cognizant of that, that you don't ruin a person by working them to death you know and it's different it's different when it's your own business because you got to be willing to do that in some instances because you don't really have another option and that's how it's been for us but it's it's worked out thus far <laughs> so you left outdoor tv and you guys started um modern legacy and uh you've been doing this for oh, how many years now you've been doing uh, modern legacy well modern legacy started in 2010 2010 yeah. So, uh, but I've been partnership since 2019. 2019. So, okay. Yeah. A little oh. over two years now. So how do you guys, my next question is uh, for, for anybody listening that's wanting to kind of get into a role similar to that. How are you, and I've talked about this from my end on this podcast before, but from your side, how do you guys get your clients? Well, it's actually kind of funny you mentioned that because especially if you went and looked at us on social media or anything like that, we were absolutely awful. And I don't think we've posted yeah, since too. like tw- 2018 maybe <laughs> we haven't posted. It was just absolutely terrible. And for majority of our stuff, and I probably, well, I should knock on this wood right here, but I should be careful saying this, but we really haven't had to market ourselves a whole lot. I mean, as far as marketing the business goes, we've never done that. To this day, we still haven't had to do that. We've we've had almost every piece of our work has been from referral. And that's that's 100% why I always tell everyone that I talk to, like you can never burn a bridge in this industry because you don't know what connections, who who's connected together. 100%. Because we've had 
I don't know, small jobs that seem insignificant turn into, well, they connected with someone else and that turned into one of our largest projects we've ever had. So every project you need to take, you know, you need to put as much effort into every single project that you do, you know, whether you're getting paid $10,000 or a million dollars, it doesn't matter. You need to be able to pay or do the same exact work that you would do regardless for the same, you know, for each client because you never know where it's going to lead. And for us, really, it's been, like I said, a lot of referral work. I mean, I've, we've obviously, we've went and talked with a few companies now and partnered with different people throughout projects. And that's really helped us a bunch. And I've, you know, I think we've sold cold calling, maybe five or six jobs in the past year or so. Not a ton, but definitely some that we've had. But a lot of it's like when you work in an industry and other industry leaders see that, you know, as long as you're not on a contract with somebody and it's a conflict of interest, a lot of people, once they see that, it's like, oh, okay, well, I like that kind of work. We need to do something like that. And then those people reach out and, you know, then you have this spider web of network of, of people that you worked for that really enjoy your work, especially if you find a niche industry somewhere that maybe people aren't really tapping into yet. I mean, those are hard to do because video is becoming so easy now for everybody. But, and, you know, everyone's cousin Joe is a video guy, right? Because he's got a Nikon DSLR. He's a video guy. Mm. And I'm not saying anything bad about Nikon shooters. I like Nikons. But, you know, it, everyone has but a video But you're saying guy. something bad about Joe, though. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it's just... I think video is such an easy entry point nowadays that yeah. every, everyone's a professional, right? You know, and I think maybe that's the hard sell to some clients is because when you pitch a high number to them, they come back like, I can get this done for $2,500. And you're like, you can, but what's the quality going to be, you know, at the end of the day? And, you know, if you want longevity within your video marketing, this is talking to anybody that owns a business out there spending money and investing in your video marketing is probably one of the best investments that you can have for a long time to come, you know, and hiring somebody that actually knows what they're doing and they can take over the production and do a very good job. is well worth the investment long-term. Yeah. And sometimes you have to explain that to a potential client and get them to understand, but it's almost like if you can get them in the door and you could do one for them or make something for them, then a lot of times if they see the return on investment, they'll understand. Like I have a, I have a client right now, um, that I, I just landed and, and it's funny when they first came to me, they're like, Hey, the reason why we're wanting to, to hire you for this project, we have some videos we want to do, but, um, <clears throat> we've worked with another company in the past, two, two or three other companies. And they're like, we just don't, we just haven't been happy with anything they've done, but we love your work and we feel like you'd be a b big step up in quality. And I was like, great. So they told me what they wanted to do and I sent them a proposal and they gave me a call and they're like, Hey, why is your price so high? You know, you're, you know, we, we were hoping to, this is how much we paid last time. We're wanting to stay at the same price. I'm like, guys, you're coming to me because you weren't happy with what you had last time. Why do you think I cost more? Like if you, you know, qual if you're going to pay for if you're going to pay for something better, obviously better is going to cost more money. And it's like they have to get over that. But once they do, if they could see the ROI, like if you could do a really good job on it, they'll come back. And then, like you said, they'll spider web and that could lead to, to other things. And I feel mm -hmm. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, 
Like I don't do, I heard, I can't remember last time I did a highlight reel. Maybe it's like 2016 or something. Like I hardly ever, I have one I'm working on. I've been working on for like a year, but that's how low priority it is for me. And I just want to do it just, just because I want to, but it has zero marketing value for me because highlight reels don't get me jobs. Uh, what gets me jobs uh, and, and no marketing, social media doesn't. I only post on social media so that if someone Googles Rustic River Media, they don't think I'm out of business. <laughs> they could see, I, oh, he posted a couple weeks ago. He's still around. That's None of that is, though, is for marketing for me. My marketing is like you. It's all about referrals and just kind of being in the business and people have heard my name. And sometimes that just takes time. you got to hang in there long enough that you've worked with enough people that eventually your name, everybody just knows who you are. And if someone wants a job, they like know to call you. And, and that just, honestly, nothing can replace that. It's just time. It just takes time. Agreed. I mean, for us, it's been the same exact way. And you need to make that the thumbnail of this video. Like highlight reels don't get you jobs. Like, oh, hundred you know, percent. Like, I, I don't know. Highlight reels have their place, I guess. And they could be eye catching. And that's exactly. And that's the only reason why that's the only reason why I'm going to eventually create another one is just because it's kind of eye-catching. But that's mm-hmm. literally it. Yeah, we have I have zero reason. And if if you want to see like a proper way to do a highlight, do you follow uh, the production company Gnarly Bay? No, I never heard of them. Okay, so look them up after this. Okay. Everyone should go watch it. But they have a, a highlight video, essentially. But it tells the story of their business. Um, and how they started and all the different things that they've done throughout their careers to get to where they are now. They're a pretty high-end production company. That's interesting because that's kind of similar to what I'm working on. That's very that's funny. Mine's more Mine's more of a, it's less of a highlight reel and it's more of um, this is who we are. Like I'm creating a branding film for myself, just like I would for another yeah, that, client. That's exactly what I'm doing. Essentially, that's exactly what they did. And they, they did a fantastic job with it. And I, and I forget what the name of it is, like maybe something we are gnarly bay or something or who is gnarly bay i something along those lines g-n-a-r-l-y bay but you should definitely go look them up and they had a just a a great video they put together and you know we were talking about highlight reels and like like i said highlight reels sometimes they have their place but for us majority of the time we're really not highlight reels don't get me jobs what gets me a job is a previous, some previous work that I've done that's similar in a category to what they want to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. If someone like, even when I hire freelance shooters, I never ask them, send me your highlight reel ever. And it's funny because when I did outdoor TV stuff, every single time someone hired me, the, the first thing to say is send me a highlight reel and a gear list and a price. My clients don't care about what gear I use. They don't care about a highlight reel. They just want to see real world examples. And a lot of times, some of them don't even care about price. It's really funny. It is. And, you know, majority, I haven't had, which is funny because I have, we haven't had a single client now request any specific gear because they just trust us to use the right gear for the Oh, job. 100%. I've never, it's not even a co- topic of conversation ever. No. Never. And we had, we had actually, we actually did, we had a proposal that we sent out and the request that they sent us they requested everything be shot in 4K and 8K. And I was like, that's the first time I've seen, like, well, I shoot everything in 4K anyways. And, I did too, but I've never and, I've never had a request for it. it. Aside from that one request, we've never had another request for it. And, and 8K, really? Yeah, which is, well, we have a we have a red, so which but why, might be good. But why, why? Why specifically did they request that? I have no idea. And, and honestly, the funny thing about it was is 
they were so green to video production they had no clue what they were doing oh and gosh requesting that's like i think it was just like the big new thing maybe yeah that's what they were wanting that and, shows you and we'll get to gear in a minute but that kind of shows you a little bit how uh novice they are because unless it's a specific reason like i could see a production company saying hey uh we'd like you know, we, we need some guys to, to shoot a project for us. We specifically need 8K because we're going to be doing a lot of CGI or a lot of green screen stuff. Like if it was a specific Correct. reason, I could see that. But yeah. you'd just be like, hey, we want an 8K that I can't see. <laughs> no, I mean, there's really for what they were wanting, other than maybe they wanted it for longevity, like down the road, if they wanted this investment to be really long term, I could see maybe that's what like they were wanting. Tw- like thirty five years from now, yeah, right? <laughs> when that like, matters. We, we still we still haven't even like really bridged the gap into four K yet. No. Truthfully, I mean, as far as like you know, looking at things on our phones, like right. it's not really even truly four K for majority of phones out there. It's not really even four K yet. We're and even if it was, like, could you really tell the difference on your phone? No, no, no. And <laughs> that's that's what cracks me up is the the majority of people really consume all their content right here on this little device, and it really nobody can tell a difference in any camera quality. And I think that's what's so funny. It's like people get so caught up on the camera, like it's got to be the right camera, got to be the right camera, got to be the right camera. Like it's got to be a red. It's it's got to be a Sony Venice. It's got to be you know a C five hundred Mark three or two sorry and whatever people get so caught up on that it's like well i tell you right now you can go buy a used a7 III shooting an s-log 2 and have it properly lit and you're going to have just as good a video as anyone else that has no clue what they're doing with a fifty thousand dollar camera bar none i mean you, you have to know what you're doing to make it look good and majority of people get too caught up on gear and i i, I tell people that all the time i'm like you don't you honestly don't need to spend that much. I mean, at at the end of the day, like those higher end cameras help us be more productive on set. That's why we have them, right? You know, for you, you know, we've talked about the FX6 before. It's it's a tool, right? It's mm-hmm. the right tool for the job. And majority of the time, that's why I'm shooting on whatever camera I'm shooting on. It's just the right tool for the job. You know, it's funny you say that about the, um, about, people getting hung up on gear. I had a client one time we were doing a, a an outdoor short film project and uh, <laughs> he said to me, like, he loved the way everything was coming out, but he, he made a comment. He said, man, you, you're really good at this, but man, one day, just wait, we're going to get you a red. I mean, just think about what all you'd be able to do when you get a red. Like, we'll really be doing good then. And I was like, why, why on earth would I want a red for this job? We were like in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. I said, that is the last camera I would want for this job. Like, I, I don't want to deal with the V-Lock batteries. I don't want to deal with the, uh, I like the lack of internal ND, any of the audio hiccups I'd have to work around. Like what I'm working with, it was an FS7 at the time. I was like, what I'm working with right now is like the perfect tool for this job. And and then what's funny is, is whenever the video was completed, people were uh, messaging me, asking me if I shot it on red. <laughs> and I didn't. I just shot it in log and I graded it a certain way. And, and I, you know, I shot in good lighting or lit it myself. And it's really funny. Like gear really, gear to me is all about getting just the right tool for the job. 100%. And it's funny you said that because I used to, I shot on dual FS7s for a long time and absolutely love that camera. It was the perfect tool for many jobs. And, you know, aside from autofocus performance, uh, size, 
low light sensor size if you're wanting to go full frame a lot of people are still shooting super 35 but i mean there was it was really the just a great camera for mm-hmm. really any job i mean you could take it anywhere you could take it to events you could take it to a high-end production it would feel just at home on either one and that's what i loved about it yeah same here it's kind of like a swiss army knife it really was so that leads me into what are you guys so you said you have a red now what are you guys yep. working with now and and kind of are you going to stick with what you have are you looking to go another direction let's talk about well, it well well right now so our main camera is the red weapon helium 8k is what we shoot a lot of stuff on great camera it is honestly it's it's phenomenal camera but shooting with red has a lot of caveats and you know that's there are a lot of extra back-end work that you have to do to make a red work depending on the job you know and for me like red's color science is second to none i mean their their color science is on point it's absolutely perfect and just the look that comes off the sensor is phenomenal i mean there's a reason that a lot of people shoot on them because of the look i can tell you right now it's not because of the form factor because it's terrible <laughs> but for us like to to rig it up with you know all the reasons you mentioned with power nd um audio inputs uh lenses when to rig it up with follow focus it becomes this heavy 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 brick and not something well i mean and i know people do this but it's not something i would want to lug around a mountain for something like that no you know no, it's, it's absolutely not for me it never has been the camera that i'm just gonna throw over my shoulder on a tripod and hike a mountain to go no. get a shot i mean it just hasn't been that for me because all the workarounds you have to do and you want to rig it up properly it just takes a lot of work and it becomes really heavy and you know if if you're shooting with an easy rig with one of those vario easy rigs you know with like the spring on them yeah i got one a few weeks ago i love it that's that's all fine if you want to shoot with that all the time but you're not going to carry that into a mountain you know what i mean it's it's just on set it's great because if, if you can light it how you want to light it i mean the the low light capability isn't great it's not a gemini um, but it, it does a great job I and mean, it really does, but you know, you have, you know, maybe five years ago, if you just said it doesn't have autofocus, you just said, okay, it doesn't matter. Autofocus is right. professional anyways, <laughs> but it's changed. At the end of the, yeah. The game has completely changed. It's changed. And so the, it has no autofocus capabilities. I mean, there's just a lot of workarounds in it. it it's power hungry. You, we got to bring around four or five bricks everywhere we go. And it's just so heavy to lug around. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the camera, but there are a lot of quirks that come with shooting red. And I bought, let's see, back in January, I bought an A7S III. Just, that was the first one I got that was even available around us locally. I typically buy a lot of my gear locally at a camera shop here. But, they got it. They got three or four in, and I told them to give me a call, and they had got one in, and I went down and purchased it. But it's there's so many nice things about the A7S three that if I had that in a cinema body, it would check a lot of boxes for me. And that's essentially what the FX six is, right? You know, and it's it's obviously missing a few things for that run and gun. Like the one thing I'm missing is my variable ND off the FS sevens, like. I miss that so much, like being able to just dial yeah. my exposure right to what I need it to be. Yeah, it's amazing. I, 
not having that ability. And, you know, we, we have the Polar Pro uh, Basecamp map box now. Same, same here. It's just freaking awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it really, it's not great because we, they came out with the third stage. Mm-hmm. We had we have the two stage one. They didn't have a third stage when we bought it. And I'm like, oh, I want a third you stage. Can, you can add the third stage though. Yep. So yep. it's you, it's something you can add as a, of course it's extra, but. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's sold out all the time. It's like, constantly sold out. Yeah. It's that same thing with the, the little Sony CF Express type A cards. I haven't been able to buy a 160 gig card yet. Every time I go to purchase them, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I have. Not to eight, mention, I have eight of them. <laughs> oh my! You're, I'm, you're the guy I'm that the keeps reason. buying them. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. But no, th- that's the other thing about Red is storage space. It's insane. Let, and let, let's let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> you know, Red Mini Mags so expensive. Are like, yeah, they're like three thousand dollars. Yeah, for like a terabyte. Like people cringe at the hundred sixty gigabyte CF Express Type Eight card for Sony, which is four hundred bucks. And I get it; it's more than an SD card. And those eight that I have is probably like I think it's thirty two hundred dollars I spent for all eight of those. And the card readers are like one hundred twenty bucks a pop. But when you compare that to what what one Red Mini Mag, like it's not even you can't even have the conversation between the two. It's not even yeah, comparable. Well, uh- a red mini mag. Let's see. I'm looking at it right now. 960 gig mini mag is twenty three hundred dollars. That's insane. So, and the thing is, is that gets used up so fast, right? When you're shooting on the red. And the other problem with the red is when you're shooting every resolution, it windows your sensor. So if you want to shoot, say, for instance, 2K 240, you have a four times crop on your lens. So now all of a sudden you're say you're shooting with a 50 mil now you're like 200 mm-hmm. and it's just razor thin <laughs> when you're trying to focus on everything and you can't to to get like if you want a wide slow motion shot say you were falling somebody's feet or something like that in 240 if you really wanted to get that shot you're having to shoot on a 14 mil and it's still punching it in to the point where it's essentially almost a 50 mil whatever that math is um but I don't like that having to to window my sensor every time I sure. want to change my resolution. You know, so it, inevitably if you want the look of the lens that you're shooting on, you're going to be shooting in 8K because that's really your only option. If you want that full look of the full sensor. So majority of the time, you know, then shooting 8K brings all these other issues <laughs> to light with editing. And I will say like Red Code Raw is it's really not that hard on your processor. Right. Really. And it's pretty efficient for what it is. It really is. And it's it's not terrible. I mean, I still, I don't have the fastest computer, so I still proxy everything. And, and then it's not too bad to work with, assuming you don't start stacking tons of layers of 8K because then every, everything's just like, <laughs> and then you start coloring and throwing any effects on anything. And you're just like. Don't you dare completely. denoise it. It would literally break uh, your computer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a computer would probably catch on fire if I tried to do that. <laughs> But, you know, we had everything about it is, you know, there's a lot of caveats that come with the red. So to everyone out there listening for red, like, and they want to buy a red, like that's your end game. Be prepared for all the caveats that come with red. And I'm not saying I don't like red. That's Don't get me wrong, because I love red. It just has a place. It does. It does. And depending on the type of work that you do, it may not be right for you. Just, just know that going in. Hundred percent. I, from a content creator perspective, and I don't really like the word content creator because I feel like it's, 
I don't know. I just don't like that terminology. But it I'll, gets tossed around a lot. It lately. just gets tossed around a lot. It, just like the word influencer. If I hear, if so, I had a girl one time. She had a meeting with me, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm an influencer." I'm like, "No, you're not. You're just calling yourself that." I looked at your following. You have a hundred people following you. Who are you influencing? <laughs> your parents? Like, I don't know. You know, I, I hate that. But from a content creator's point of view, um, I can't think of a better camera today than there are four, four cameras, like the C500 Mark II, the C300 Mark III, the FX9, and the FX6. Like, yep. all four of those are insane. And if you don't want to go to that route yet, an A7S III also can't be beat. Like, honestly, you can do so much. You, t- I take that FX6, I'll go shoot any project with it. Like, you earlier you said the FS7 was great for anything from events do you could use it for high-end production fx6 is the same way even more so because the color science is much improved and it's full frame and yada yada but it's so great for i i mean i honestly can't think of a single project that i i can't shoot with it and if you want raw you can you can get raw with it with with a ninja v now and like so what do you do you spend a thousand bucks to get a ninja v and set up you know buy a two terabyte ssd drive and or and you're good to go like i just i can't think of and obviously it's not the same kind of raw you'd get with with something like like a helium or something like that but still it's it's amazing what you can get out of that camera with the eye autofocus the low light ability which is second to none the color science is much improved the four channels of audio i could go on and on and on the nd the built-in electronic variable nd which cannot be overstated enough like my base camp matte box i don't use it for nd the whole reason i have it is to control flare and uh to add things like mist filters or last night i shot i stacked two filters i shot with a, a mist and uh I actually, it was low light out, but it was my camera so freaking good in low light that I shot with a two to five stop mist filter <laughs> and, uh, and I stacked it with a, uh, gold morphic, um, anamorphic flare filter that get the adds yep. the anamorphic looking flares for the shot last night to give this house that was lit at night with just anamorphic looking flares and it looked amazing but i use a matte box for those purposes not because i have to because i have all the nd i need it's just you can't beat it man you really can't and like i said that's the that's the other caveat with red is like it, it to you know the the as great as the base camp is like there's still times that i need to jump from the two to five to the six to nine yeah and it takes time and it does and then now i gotta take it out, be very cautious with my filter, making sure I'm not scratching it or breaking it, putting it back in a case, and then getting my other filter out and then right. sliding it in. So right. there's definitely time lost there. 100%. Yeah. And especially in those moments where you have the high contrast changes from from shadows to highlights really fast. And that's that's my biggest problem I have. And I'm facing the same thing with the A7S three right now as a secondary camera for most things. And you know, essentially that's, I really, that's why I missed the FS7 for the same reasons is like, I want that electronic variable ND back. I, I love that. It can't and, be, and ha- it can't be overstated enough how good it is. You could literally put an FX6 on a gimbal and do a walk and talk interview type shot and go from indoor to outdoor and the ND will auto expose for you and you don't have to do anything like that's, I, yep. I mean, dude, that's, that opens up so many more possibilities. Without having like a first AC pulling your iris and focus and... Which changes your depth uh, of field. Exactly. So it's still not exactly. perfect, even if you had it. Right. Yeah. And not to mention, then you got to pay somebody else to be on set with 100%. you. 100%. Oh, and, and you got to rig all that up. 
<laughs> then you're without without the the more expensive easy rig now because my rig is so heavy the mini max doesn't take it anymore nope now you gotta step Be- up yeah now i gotta step up to the five thousand dollar job you know <laughs> not to mention which, you probably need a wireless focus puller and exactly, all that exactly. stuff set up you're gonna need all that crap man a wireless monitoring system mm-hmm. yeah now i'm going full <laughs> now i'm going full teradek and i need a need a first AC on set with me pulling my focus for me. Like it's Tens just Tens of thousands of dollars to do it. Truly. And that's that's why the FX6 is such a game changer. Yeah. Really. It, there's nothing out there like it. It cuts right jobs. Like literally it cuts jobs. Like obviously I'm a manual focus first guy, but on tricky shots I can go over to autofocus and it saves me from having to have all that wireless monitoring system, a designated focus puller. Look at all the money that saves. You know, just from that one thing. And then you want to talk about audio, like I can cut out an entire sound guy because I can do four channels of audio in the camera. And I still like I talked to you, I, I'm on I'm I'm probably about to buy a Zoom F6 for yep. some certain applications. But still I could do most things straight into the FX6 without having to have a sound guy there. I can handle it myself. You know, and I mean it, that saves more money and more time. Absolutely. That and I think especially nowadays with with how fast people are wanting turnarounds with their jobs and things like it cannot be stated enough like efficiency is key right now and if you're not efficient with something on the job you need to cut it out of your workflow because efficiency is money you know the more efficient you can become the more money you can make truly because the faster you can work you know if, if i can be on set not to mention the wear and tear on your body if you know, we're, we're fairly young, so I mean, at the point where we hit 55, 60 years old, it might cause some strain down in our lives down the road. I don't know, but... Not, with, having, the, not with my easy rig now. There's no strain <laughs> ever. I don't even know. Did I even work today? That's how I feel after <laughs> I shoot with that thing. <laughs> so, I mean, having that ability with these smaller cameras now and being able to shoot such high quality content is just invaluable. You know, if like I said... You need the right tool for the job. And the FX6 checks a lot of boxes for me. And it's hard because we're invested in, we have Sony glass and we have Canon glass. Right. So really we could go either route. Like I could go C300 Mark III right now if I wanted to. Which is a but great camera. It is. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. That and I really, I'm, I'm trying to talk Adam. I think we need to do get rid of the red and get a C500 Mark II. So the C500 Mark II, if I wouldn't have got the FX6, that's the camera I would have got. I really like it. Two things though. One, I didn't have Canon glass anymore. I sold all my Canon glass. So I didn't want it. My wife would literally murder me if I switched again. (laughs) So that can't happen. And then two, even if I did have my Canon glass, the one thing I don't like about the C500 Mark II is four channels of audio is really big to me. And to get that with a C500 Mark II, you have to get an extension back and it changes some things on it and but oh and it doesn't have i don't think it has 4k 120 which is it does not it does not 60 only yeah which the c300 mark 3 does but then it's not full frame yeah then you have super 35 and i don't shoot a ton of slow slow motion anymore but i do some like in those superhero shots in that video i was talking about earlier like i shot some 4k 120 stuff at the very beginning of the girl running with her superhero costume on and i couldn't have that with the c300 mark or c500 mark 2 so yeah. yeah, but it's a fantastic camera, though. Yeah, and I, honestly, I think it's going to be relevant for a lot of time to come just because of the different resolutions you can shoot at. You can yeah. shoot 6K raw on the camera internal, Yeah, which is huge. Not to have, you know, a big 100%. external pack. Like, you know, that's one of my 
things I don't like about the FX9, like, will allow you to shoot raw with just the recorder on the FX6, but we have to have a huge extension back on the FX9 to be able to do that. That's crazy. It's stupid. I mean, you had to have that on the FS7 too. Yep. And and that see, the FS7 came out in 2014. It's been seven years. Why is it that that family of cameras, now the FX9, still requires that? It doesn't make any sense. Even the FS5 can do raw straight out. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense to me. No sense. It seems like you're cannibalizing your higher-end FX9 over the FX6. It doesn't have 4K 120 internal either. Right. Which that that part really frustrates me. Hundred percent. I haven't shot on the FX9 personally yet. I've just watched a lot of reviews on it, and I've seen a lot of people like. Apparently now to get to slow motion, it's not as quick. No, oh, it it's it's be. not. No, it's it's a. I I played around with that. It's a pain in the butt, man. It's not just pressing S and Q anymore. Why? I that d- doesn't make any sense. I really and, don't know. <laughs> like uh, that's the one thing I love about the A7S3. I, I I set my memory recall one, two, and three, so all different modes. So I can jump from 4K 24 to 4K 120 to 1080 240. Yeah, that's exactly. So I do it. I don't have 1080 120, but I or 240, but I do 4K 24, 4K 60, 4K 120. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. Just like that. Yep. And all it takes is just to switch the dial yep. on top. You got your. You already got your uh, shutter speed dialed in and everything. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That's same what. Here. That's what I do. I, it's it amazing. Just, it's it's so fast. Yeah. And I love it. And you know we the 4K and plus let's just talk about the 4K 120 for a second. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. It looks great and too. It does. And, it does. And having autofocus with 4K 120, that's really fast. Like we were shooting some dogs running and literally I locked on the dog's face and the dog sprinted at me <laughs> and I never lost focus in 4K 120. And could and you imagine pulling focus yourself? No. I It'd be really honestly, tough, man. I, I honestly don't think I could do it. No, me I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't do it as well. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm going to need a professional focus puller on set with me. <laughs> to be able to to watch a screen and even then it's still gonna may not even be perfect and if you're doing an outdoor-ish or dock project and it's super dark out you got that in your corner man and the second base iso is 12,800 that's crazy 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 which still blows me away every time i switch my a7s3 to 12,800 i'm kind of blown away oh yeah because like I can honestly shoot in the dark with this thing. I can see better with my camera than I can with my eyes. Well, I told you last night when I was shooting this house, it's pitch blackout. I went and waited until it was completely dark out to get a shot of this house at night. I shot at 12,800. I had to have my ND on. <laughs> it's pitch blackout. It's crazy. If, if you watch the, the Sony Alpha launch film for the A7S three, which you probably did, if you watch the BTS of that, they were shooting with those... Um, the Titan Astra Titan tube lights, mm-hmm. and they were they were shooting that drummer with the A7S3. And if you watch the BTS of that, it's pitch black, and the only they have like six tube lights around this guy, all at one percent. <laughs> and, and and they were like, we're gonna have to ND. That's crazy. And it's like when you think about that in terms of all the other cameras out there, like what other camera can you shoot and be clean as as the twelve thousand eight hundred is, and have to ND with 1% on your LED tubes. 100%. That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. I will say, so if anybody's listening to this and has an A7S three or FX6 or wants to get one, um, and I don't know, Kyle, how much you've shot at 12.8, but one thing I have learned about it is you have to expose a little differently if you want it to be as clean. So on the FS7, if you shot in log, you always wanted to overexpose by one to two stops to get it to be clean. That was kind of like the rule of thumb. 
The FX6 and A7S3, if you shoot at the first base ISO of 800 in log, it's super clean right out of the gate. Um, if you expose right in the middle, it's fine. But at 12.8, you do need to overexpose by a stop or two. And I, I, I like last night was a really great example of this. At 12.8, I told you I had to add ND, but I still overexposed my shot by one to two stops. And when I did, I did a test with it. It was crystal clean. But if I exposed it right on the money, it was noisy. So if you do go to the second base ISO, the only thing you have to remember is just overexpose a little bit. And if you do that, then yeah, it's just as clean as 800, which is nuts. My only problem that I have with my A7S III, and I do agree with you there, I've had to do the same thing. I typically overexpose a stop if I'm doing 12.8. But the biggest caveat I have is between the 6400 and the 12,800 is super noisy. Yeah, it and is. I, and I, I found that I had watched reviews on it before I had bought mine, so I was kind of aware of that a little bit. But when I went out on a shoot with it the first time, and we were shooting, um, which is funny because we were, we were shooting with just headlamps as we were doing an outdoor scene, and it was just headlamps is all we were lighting it with. And I'm shooting it, I don't know, maybe 2.8, 1.8, I don't remember what I was shooting at, 1.4. I can't remember what we were shooting at, but literally i was at like maybe one four and i'm at like 6400 it's grainy and i came back and watched it i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna go i'm like i watched it on the camera through the viewfinder and it was so noisy i'm like we're reshooting <laughs> this whole scene we're gonna redo it and right. i'm gonna go to tw- i'll go 12 8 but now the problem is is i'm gonna have to nd it <laughs> because i'm not gonna like I'm shooting with headlamps. I shouldn't have to ND my shot to get the look I want. Right. And like, I, I guess I this could, is a first I world problem though. It like, is. I should, I shouldn't have to, I mean, I guess I, I didn't have to shoot wide open cause it was kind of dark out, but I liked the shallow depth of field look that I was getting sure. with, with the blur of the background right. that I had. So I really enjoyed it cause I was getting some really nice balls of bokeh in the background. And sure. I'm like, yeah, I, I love the look that I'm getting. So I didn't really want to have to stop down a whole lot first world problems again you know this is this is could you imagine having this problem problems. on a red like you would you would beg to have this problem on a red i i really would because <laughs> like it, when it comes to like really dark shooting like really we don't we don't go above you don't really touch maybe iso 4000 that's about as high as you're going to shoot on it <laughs> yeah. but, i mean that's it's a different tool for a different job right and right. that's that's exactly why i bought the a7s3 was the fact like it picked up where the red maybe left off right and and I love the form factor of having a small mirrorless camera. Yeah, it's nice. It, it's, it's kind of inconspicuous. I mean, I build it out too, where I have a side handle and base plate and everything. But if you don't do that, I can literally take it just the camera and the lens, and I can go out and get good content still. That's yeah. what I love about it. It's, yeah. It's it can be really minimalistic, or you can build it up. You know, building it up, you're looking at like a ten thousand dollar rig still, but <laughs> whatever. So I. I won't make I won't make you talk too much longer because I know we got um, both got busy days, but I do want to ask you just a couple more questions. Uh, sure. So tell uh, tell us a little bit like what kind of lenses that you work, do you like to work with? Are you a prime guy? Are you zoom guy? What do you have? I'm a prime guy majority of the time. Um, I like zooms. I have my my favorite zoom that I have probably is my sixteen to thirty five two eight G Master. Yeah, it's a nice. Um, I, I love that lens. Yeah. And. I mean, it's, it's really a good wide angle lens for a lot of things. And I find myself shooting at 35 to eight a lot on a gimbal with it. I mean, I could, I could simplify it, I guess, and, and get a 35 one four prime, but I don't have that. Yeah. We, 
we shoot, I mean, majority of my content, I feel like I shoot a lot in the 50 to 85 range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me. I, I like that too. That's yeah. majority of my stuff is in that range. I don't shoot a lot at 35 anyways. And the only time I'm shooting 35 is if I need something a little bit wider to get more of my surroundings in with my subject. But majority of the time we're in the 50 to 85 range. Um, we shoot, like I said, we have Canon and Sony glass. So majority of our money is obviously in our Canon glass because of the red. But Right, right. We shoot. I have the the Sony Zeiss fifty five one eight. Dude, that's a sweet little lens. It for the size of it, honestly, yeah, it's I, insane. You, can, I can, I can literally fit it in my pocket, my back pocket. I can put that lens in my back pocket if I wanted to, and it's just so small, compact, really sharp, and I mean, you're lacking one four, obviously. So, I mean, I have really, the fifty one four, and it's my favorite lens I've ever owned, but it's much bigger than the fifty five. It is, yeah. It's yeah. like two and a half times the size of yeah it really is yeah and uh and i'll tell you the sony really knocked out of the park with the you're gonna laugh but 85 one eight no i'm not gonna laugh yes yes it's one eight but also the 35 one eight i've used both of them zero focus breathing i mean zero it's like a cinema lens (laughs) no focus breathing razor sharp wide open and they cost like five to six hundred dollars a piece, brand new. Dude, my wife does full time—not full time. She does uh, wedding photography, really great wedding photography. She's uh, and she has one lens. She has an A seven R two and one lens. It was like a two hundred fifty dollar Sony fifty millimeter one point eight. And dude, photos look fantastic off of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I can I, I can nitpick it obviously and find some issues yeah. like purple fringing and stuff but yeah. our clients would never they don't notice yeah. that yeah you, you you got that you hit that nail on the head with that one that's a little bit of fringing on the 85 wide open if you're going to shoot directly into the sun you'll get a little bit of fringing yeah um but in honestly in photo applications i notice them a lot more than i do in video applications sure, sure. I've, not, I've not seen it a lot and you know i'm not typically shooting into something that's a super high contrast scene like that most time anyways i'm going to try to light it properly at least have some bounce in their face or something i'm not going to shoot right into the sun um but the 8518 and the 3518 i don't know if you're familiar with a lot of reviewers but i watch a lot of gerald undone stuff oh yeah i'm a huge fan and he shoots on the 3518 exclusively for all his stuff that's his go-to lens over over the 3514 over the g master 3514 over the sigma 3514 I mean, he loves the thirty-five-one-eight. I will say that reason. I will say I have the thirty-five-one-four Zeiss because mm-hmm. uh, I had the fifty, and I want and, and they match really well. Right. And like a project I'm working on right now, I've shot the entire thing off those two lenses, and I really like it. But again, it's bigger and heavier, and it it can have some decentering issues in certain copies. So that thirty-five-one, huh? That was going to be my my question, right? There. You have like, to get a good copy. Decentering. My, yeah. Mine, I have not noticed any decentering issues. Well, I take that back. I shot it when I first got it. I shot it a shot of a brick wall just to see, mm-hmm. and I did notice a slight decentering. But in real world use, I've never seen it in an actual shot. Yeah, I and I've I've watched a few people review it, and like this one guy I watched, he had four lenses he had to get before he got a good copy. I'm like, ugh. That is the only problem. But man, I will say it if you get it, and I don't like the flare on it too much. I'm a, I like good flares. If my lens doesn't have a good flare, I'm not shooting it into the light. Not a yeah. crazy fan of the flaring on it. But that aside, it's gorgeous, and the colors identically match my 514, which is amazing. I, yeah, I I love the look of those the the 15 to 35 Zeiss. I've seen a lot yeah. of people shoot projects on those collectively just those two lenses 
and they look phenomenal. Yeah, I the color is definitely give that. It is. It really yeah. is. And I haven't used one personally, but you know, majority of our stuff's with our Canon glass. So, sure. like, we have the fifty-one-two uh, L series Canon lens. Yeah, so. I had that lens. That I shot a lot on that lens. We shoot a ton on that lens. Well, no, but, when but, I had Canon glass, that was my only prime for a long time. Mm-hmm. It the problem I have with it is uh, the chromatic aberration. Same thing, like wide open. It's awful. Yes, it's yeah. so bad. My fifty-one four Zeiss doesn't have that. I definitely like my fifty-one four Zeiss better, but you did get a little bit more light if you needed it off the fifty-one two. Yeah, and it's I smaller. Mean, it on the red and the low light scenes, it really helps. I'm sure to be able to go fifty-one two. You know, yeah, that part that part is really nice. Um, but you know, each has their give and takes sure i i do like the the zeiss 50 one four i really do like that lens it's a sweet um, lens i say the only problem i have with sony glass like the g master you said you like your 1635 g master i like that lens i have that lens but when i had i will say when i had canon l series glass i liked number one the manual focus better way mm-hmm. better number two this is kind of a weird thing but like sony's lenses auto detect a tripod and they will turn image stabilization off when they're on a tripod. And I know, like, in principle, you're not supposed to have image stabilization on a lens when you're on a tripod. But in realistic real-world applications, when I shoot on, like, a 100 to 400 filming wildlife, even with my... I have a I have a Sockler FSB-10 with Sockler one, Flowtech 100 sticks. I paid, like, almost $5,000 for that combination. Even with that tripod... I, on my 100-400 Sony G Master, because it auto-detects the tripod, it kills the image stabilization, and I can see shake in my footage no matter how gentle I am, even with my lens mounted to rails. Now, with the FX6, the way it's balanced, it's not so bad, but on the on the, on the the Canon, never had that issue because it didn't kill the image stabilization when you're on a tripod. It's always stayed active. I can't tell you how many times I use that. So G Master Glass doesn't have that. And then lastly, I like the the lens flaring on the Canons better. It's really beautiful. And it Sony is. Sony works really hard to eliminate lens flare. And I, I get it, but I, I like pretty lens flares. And Canon went with it where Sony tries to kill it. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you there. We have, I mean, in majority of people, when you're shooting on a long lens, you're on sticks right right so that that feature makes zero sense to me like right the only time image stabilization you're telling me would i'm shooting on a 100 or 400 handheld maybe taking photos that's that the only then that's, that's all the they want time? You, that's the only time they want you to use it right it doesn't make any sense to me no it doesn't because um, you're not going to handhold video a 100 400 exactly you know especially if you have a teleconverter on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah makes makes no sense to do that no sense no i, I mean i a lot of a lot of Sony's lenses cater a lot more to photographers than videographers, yeah, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. You know, especially with the focus breathing and things, um, with especially with all the new G Master lenses coming out, like the 35 and the 50, and every, so bad. so much, so like, bad. I was watching a video of of Gerald Undone. He was doing uh, face auto, face detection autofocus, and he was leaning in and out. And oh, I saw frame, that his it's framing horrible. would change. You can't. Like, no way, dude. I'm like, I, so you're telling me I'm having an interview with a client, right? Like, right. let's real world scenario this thing. If I'm doing an interview with a client and they're sitting in their chair and they lean forward and lean back, now my framing is changing as they're moving. That's totally noticeable. You can't have that. You can't have no. that now. My, my, my Zeiss Primes do not do that. And my G Master Zooms don't do that. But the newer so- Sony G Master Primes are horrible about it. 
but it's because they want to make much sense to me. It's because they're trying to make them small and compact. Yeah, and so they're yeah. sacrifice. That's what they're sacrificing. You know, I would take. How did you say you have the twenty four one four right? The G I, I do, and it's not it's not bad about it, but it's also wider, so it's less noticeable. Right. We I've shot on that lens a couple times on a gimbal for a project we did uh, back in twenty nineteen. We shot on that lens, but I didn't really. We didn't have any rack focus or anything. I yeah. was really too worried about it. It's it's there, but it's not. It's just not as bad. The fifty and the thirty five are horrible. Yeah, the fifty is really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> Which was really, it's really a shame because I would love. I'm I'm like an OCD guy, so I would love for all my things to match. Hundred like percent. For, for I would love everything to be a G master. Right. right? Yeah. Because then then you should have some consistency throughout your lineup. Yeah. But. Sony really is forcing videographers to mix and match their lineup. They are. So you can't have, like, with Canon, I'm going all L-series glass, That's right? what I did when I was a Canon, all L-series. And it all had the same warm tones, same similar flaring. Everything Correct. felt consistent. Even the manual focus was slightly different between lens to lens, but it still felt very consistent. Right. Consistency was the key. And we never... You know, with the Sony stuff, I don't. You don't really feel like you have that. No, that's my only caveat. But the autofocus is worth it for me. Hundred percent. That, that, and that's where reason. I am with it. So if I was going to go with Canon today, it would be I would skip their mirrorless glass. If I would get the C five hundred Mark II, and whatever this new camera they've got coming out that's supposed to be a replacement for the like the R five in terms of mirrorless video and i would rock canon ef glass just because you get the best of both worlds you get autofocus with a c500 mark ii and you get the better manual focus like that was yeah. the one thing that like made me almost go there with canon mm -hmm. but i just like what sony has a little bit better yeah same here and we still might even get a c500 mark ii down the road at some point i don't know and you got the glass for it we do and that's that's really the nice thing and we really right. could we could flip our red and probably have a little money to buy something else but the too. problem is then what's your mirror at, at this moment what would your mirrorless b camera be you know you if you stick it, with so if you stick with sony now you're matching camera brands and that sucks exactly and, well, and we're still doing that right now which you still are to yeah. this day so it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much and actually i bought an r5 and i ran with the r5 for a month i really i put it through its paces because i'm like i love canon glass right and if I have the ability to shoot, I just want to shoot 4K HQ 24. Like that, the mode on that camera is beautiful. Sure. The 4K, the 4K comes out just absolutely incredible. And as long as you're not doing long takes. And like we talked about earlier in this episode, my favorite thing is doing doc projects and interviewing people. Well, if that's the case, I can't do long takes anymore. Right. And not to mention when the camera overheats, it's taking two hours to reset. That's insane. Which... It was just mind-boggling. It's insane. I, I tried everything. Like I had, I had multiple CF Express Type B cards. I had multiple batteries, and I'm I'm shooting with the screen flipped out, the battery door open. Actually, no, I don't think you can have the battery door open on that camera. I don't remember now. It's been months now, but I couldn't have. There's nothing I could do to stop it from overheating. And we're talking in a 60. I keep my house to 68, and we're a 68 degree house. And what happens when I'm outside shooting an interview for 20 minutes? It's going to overheat within five minutes. It's terrible. So I, I was just I was letting it run in the 4K HQ mode, 
the only workaround that I found that you could do was to shoot in the Super 35 4K mode. Which totally defeats the purpose of buying a full frame camera. Exactly. So the funny thing was you could shoot 4K LQ, which is their low quality, which is, was a definitely a diminish in the quality of it's the It's like video. going to a proxy file. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. I can see the difference in the HQ and right. LQ. So if you didn't want to shoot HQ, you could shoot Super 35, which kept the HQ mode but you're in Super 35 now. You don't get the full frame anymore. You still have autofocus. So, you know, at the end of the day, not terrible. And then what I saw some people were doing were using that 0.71 Canon focal reducer <laughs> on the R5 in Super 35 mode. So now you have your full frame camera shooting in Super 35. But you're speed boosting a, it to with, get it back yeah, to full frame, yeah. With a speed booster <laughs> with your full frame lens. It's so dumb. And, I, and I'm like... I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like that's a crazy workaround to be able to shoot unlimited 4k. And honestly, when I was, so before I bought the a seven S three and then the FX six, I was up in the air. Am I going to stick with Sony or am I going to go to Canon? Because I like the C 500 Mark two so much. And I like Canon glass so much, mm -hmm. but the R five killed it, man. Like there's no B cam that I could trust unless you go with the one DX Mark three, which is a big, heavy overpriced camera. That's the last of its kind that's going out right. the door. And so you're investing in old technology and you don't have a live view viewfinder anymore. And so like, there's just no good B camera option. No. And the R6 was a total flop. Total flop. <laughs> so, I mean, I was in the same boat. I With all the Canon glass we already have, it was like, well, we could just swap out. It'd be an easy transition to get a Canon, you know, and especially if we were talking about possibly doing C500, well, we, we would have a really good match, right. but it just didn't work that way. You know, the, the R5, as much as I wanted to love it, I mean, and don't get me wrong, the stills are phenomenal. The 4K HQ, when it's not overheating, is phenomenal. The 8K RAW is ridiculous. I mean, you got to have a your computer. You got to spend the $50,000, I think, on the, <laughs> the Mac Pro if you really want to actually be able to, like, scrub through it properly. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a Mac Pro trash can, and even that was, like, struggling to go through it because it's such a heavy <laughs> condensed codec yeah to make it and work it, compressed yeah, yeah which was crazy um but i mean how often was i really going to shoot ak anyways i wasn't that worried like maybe if i wanted like a, a wide scenery shot i could do it a green screen work take. something like that Anything. too yeah yeah and, and then i could reframe if i wanted to for something if i, if I really did that and I will say that the red shooting in 8k there's been a couple times we were frame matching things like a circle within a circle like as a transition piece for the shot, we've done a couple of those and 8K has really come in handy for those nice. because even though you're close, you know, 4K probably would have sufficed, but the 8K really gave us the ability to have that epitome of sharpness and being able to reframe to make everything match up. And, you know, for those specific shots, 8K may have been nice and maybe that's what the Sony A1 is for me. I don't know. <laughs> I, as much as I like the Canon glass, Sony A1 is... It's a beast man it is and it's kind of pulling me that direction i right totally now. am wanting to buy one i just after all the money i spent on the s3 and the fx6 i'm just gonna have to wait a little while <laughs> it's another yeah, 6500 dollars. yeah i think my wife would kill me if i said i was buying 100 100 right dude and yeah like, and with me with a kid on the way if i drop that right now i would i would be uh we'd be filing for a divorce for sure <laughs> and that, i mean that's the that's the one thing i got going right now i don't not that it's a a burden to have a kid, but I don't have a kid right now. So yeah. for us, we don't really have that 
you know, I don't have that ability to, I don't have that other person to worry about too. So right now is kind of the uh, perfect time for me to be buying, selling, swapping, trading gear in and out. And yeah, my, out my time like. with that is coming to the end. So I'm trying to get it. <laughs> I'm trying to get it all now. Like I, all the fly fishing stuff I want, get it now before it's too late. <laughs> I, I see some stuff in the background. I'm like, yeah, you better buy everything now. Yeah, dude, I've got... I got some. I've got some fly fishing stuff coming in the mail this week. I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> That's cool. I honestly, I, I've never fly fished before. Dude, Dude, I got into it two or three years ago because of hunting opportunities in Central Texas, like public land, is non-existent here. So for me to go hunting, I have to either draw or I have to go drive pretty far away. Um, and uh, so there's a, like you can't afford a lease here. It's like and it ranges from five to twenty five thousand dollars a person for a lease here, and you forget buying land here. It's just like the hottest part of the nation. Like it's so expensive. So mm-hmm. for me, I can do two or three hunts a year, but that's about it. So fly fishing, I could do all year round. And we have incredible streams here. And so I fish for trout, carp, bass, gar, man, just nonstop. Dude, I love bass fishing on fly rod. It's like one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. Oh, that's cool. We've never done that. We, we so fun. Regular rod and reel, obviously for everything we do. Um, yeah. What well, was funny last night? We were actually we stayed up late. We were doing some catfishing last night, <laughs> which I don't know if you do that much, but I do. I, I love I, it. I grew up catfishing, and that's all we did growing Dude, up. Dude, catfish so, on yeah. a fly rod is a blast, man. That's a whole new game. Uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, dude. Well, man. Awesome. Well, I, hey, I appreciate you coming on. I know we kind of went all over the place, but I feel like this is a great conversation. Do you have any big projects coming up that you're working on? Um, as of right this second, we are trying to finish up. We got similar to you. We have like five things going on at once right now. So we have a lot of those things kind of finalizing here within maybe the next month or so. Nice. And then I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe having a week or two (laughs) break, but I don't know. There's, there's been a lot of overlap happening right now that we even had the opportunity to do that. And, you know, if this keeps going at the pace it's going, I'm definitely going to be setting some time away for deer season, but Nothing, nothing really large to speak of as of right in this moment that I would say is the big one I'm really looking forward to. Um, you know, just a lot of a lot of the typical everyday projects that we're doing, trying to get things out the door for clients in a timely fashion and bread and butter stuff. Exactly, the stuff yeah. that pays the bills. Uh, nothing too crazy right now. I'd, I'd love to tell you that I got a documentary series we're getting ready to film, but. <laughs> That's just not the case at the moment. Yeah, me too. I, I wish I was doing free solo 2.0. I wouldn't hang on the mountainside, but I would do everything else. Oh, I would definitely do it. I would love that. Not I, me. I went, I went <laughs> skydiving and rappelling, and like I, I love that kind of Dude, thing. I'm not, I'm not a heights guy. Like that's, that's. I'll go to Pakistan and film a doc project there, like I did. But you put me on the side of a mountain, heck no. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, or a cliff, I should say, not a mountain. But yeah. Well, cool, man. Where can people, uh, where can people find your work and and learn more about you? Well, to be honest, uh, you're probably not going to find much online, but that's actually going to change here soon. We're actually kind of in the process of archiving and getting it ready to roll things out this year um, and actually get everything caught back up. But you can find us on Instagram at Modern Legacy. Maybe it's Modern underscore Legacy. I don't know. We have a triangle logo, so you'll see that. (laughs) Just look for the triangle. Yeah. And uh, find us on Facebook at Modern Legacy. Or and then you can find my personal stuff at Kyle Bamberger on Facebook and Instagram. Cool, but other man. than that, 
yeah, I, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, man, I absolutely uh, appreciate you coming on and, and, and being a part of this. I know we went way longer than I ever anticipated, but it's a good podcast. So if, for someone who made it this far, congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> Some thanks, dedication. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Uh, if you're not a uh, member of the Filming with Josh Facebook group, be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today and I'll be sure to approve you. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is just a place to come and participate in conversations about all things video production. We'll see you guys there. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Mm.